All right, if you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me this morning to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, please utilize the Bible located right in front of you in the seat back. So we're going to spend some time in the text this morning. And the title of the message that I'm bringing this morning is Multiplying Opportunities. Last September, we began um, the process of uh, studying in depth the Gospel of Mark. And um, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark until we're finished Um, Though we will be taking a break for a while this summer and fall, but um, we are uh, going through and as we do, we are not simply interacting with historical text, but the Bible itself tells us that the gospel carries in it the very presence and power of the living God. And so when we come to his word, we tremble at His Word, knowing that we are not, again, just simply interacting with sort of historical document and and stories from of old, but we are actually coming face to face with the living God Himself. And so if you've located Mark chapter 6 now, we're going to begin... In Mark 6, beginning in verse 30. Mark 6, beginning with verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Now, let me just pause for a moment to give us a bit of the broader context leading into our passage this morning. If you remember, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Mark chapter 6 um, from the beginning, and, and starting particularly in verse 7, it tells us that calling the twelve to him, Jesus sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. He called them, He gave them an identity, their position in Christ. Then He gave them, He gave them provision through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then He sent them, He gave them the papers to go out and pursue the purposes of the Father. So He called, He gave, and He sent them. And then they went out. Verse 12, they went out. They preached the people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and He healed them. And now in verse 30, they're gathering around Jesus and reporting to Him all that He had done and taught. Now sandwiched in between that, Mark recounts for us the story of John the Baptist's death. And last week we looked at that, not simply at John the Baptist's death, but we looked at his life as a forerunner to Jesus, who was preparing the way of the Lord. And I would 
think that perhaps the reason that Mark inserted that particular historical account sandwiched between those two things, the disciples going out and coming back, is he reminds us once again of the cost of being a follower of Christ. What will it cost you to follow Jesus? Everything. 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 So now they've come back to Jesus. And they are filled with wonder and awe. I mean, they've been watching Jesus do the stuff, the kingdom work, for all of these years. And now, with astonishment and wonder, they find themselves going out And the same things are happening. People are being healed. Demons are coming out of folks. The Gospel is being preached. The Word of the Lord is going out. They're doing the stuff. And as they're doing the stuff, they also discover what anybody who does the stuff pretty soon will discover. Anybody who's involved in kingdom work, is that it exacts a cost out of you, not just simply spiritually, but it draws on you emotionally, and it draws on you physically. And it says, because, verse 31, so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. So Jesus said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Whatever you are doing in ministry, whatever your involvement in kingdom, there are times where you need to hear That word from the Lord. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Sometimes that's the most spiritual thing that you can do. (laughs) Let's get some rest. Because there's a, a... and as Eugene Peterson describes it, Matthew 11, come to me all you are weary, and learn from me the unforced rhythms of grace. We need to learn those unforced rhythms of grace. And he brings us sometimes to a solitary place, to a quiet place, out to the wilderness, because in the wilderness, all of the distractions get stripped away. All the other voices get quiet. And we can begin to hear His voice. However, it didn't quite work out as planned. Verse 32, So they went away by themselves in a boat 
to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. You got the picture? Here they are. They're crossing over. They're going to the other side. And as they're going to the other side, it's not a really big, you know, we're talking a small sea here, little boat crossing, and the people see them recognizing not only Jesus, but the disciples. Hey, these are the guys that have been doing the stuff. We know we're going to follow. And they kind of follow around the lake, and there they are as they go to this solitary place. They're met by a huge But I want you to notice the response in verse 34. This is is key and is going to begin to unfold for us what it means to see opportunities multiply. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, when they landed, Jesus could have said, Oh, man, we've gone away on retreat. And now there's more to do. Go away. Go away, people. But no, as it tells us in the Gospel of Luke, in his accounting of this same story, it tells us that when he got there, Jesus welcomed them. In this year of opportunity, if we are going to experience the multiplying of opportunities, one of the things that we're going to need to embrace and get a hold of is this. We need to learn to welcome divine interruptions. In fact, let me give you a heads up. Oftentimes, the most significant ministry that you will have is going to happen in times of interruption. When you're just going around doing your just stuff. You're just living your life and suddenly there is a divine interruption. We are in a season of fasting and prayer with the purpose of waking up. And we are asking the Lord to awaken us so that we will be alert and attentive to the opportunities that He is already bringing. The problem is, is we don't even see them when they show up on our doorstep. So I want you to pay attention this week to the divine interruptions that God will bring. At your workplace, 
Suddenly you're just you're just eating your lunch, and some, suddenly somebody coworker comes along and starts just spilling out some stuff going on in their life. Hello, wake up. At school on the bus, suddenly somebody just starts talking. Wake up. Every mom and dad knows about divine interruptions. Sometimes they don't feel so divine. Um, But your kids, listen up. And I love what it says here. It says, He had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The word compassion, tender mercy, is a beautiful word. You've heard me share about this if you've been around. You've heard me share about this before. But let me just remind you again. Because we're in the beginning of Passion Week. Why is it called Passion Week? Because passion means suffering. And compassion, the word come means with. Compassion means to suffer with. And the reality is, is that Jesus has come to suffer with us. And when we welcome divine interruptions, we are opening our hearts and our homes and our hands and our lives to suffer with those who are hurting, who He brings to us. Welcome divine interruptions. And so he began teaching them many things, many things about the kingdom. And in this comes our second piece of this process of multiplying opportunities, and that is discerning the need. Now, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus operating really in in three levels here. And we see the disciples and we see the early church operating the same. The first is in the area of proclamation, which is the announcement of the kingdom of God. It is the, you know, in proclamation, the word of God and the word of the gospel goes forth. And proclamation is one of the essentials of kingdom work. We also see the exercise of power, healing and deliverance and resurrections and miracles of various kinds. And there is that release of power. And in that release of power, there is a confirmation of the Word. It says in the book of Acts, these signs shall follow those that believe. It says in the Gospels as well, those signs, those wonders confirm The kingdom and the work of God. And then there's practical. There's meeting practical needs, which is the demonstration of the Word in daily life. As we're going to see in a few moments, they needed to be taught, and then there came a time where they needed to be fed. Both. 
are part of kingdom work. Both are necessary. Both are life-giving. Perhaps sometimes the challenge of the church has been we've been scratching where people aren't itching. Discern what the need is. Now, I love what happens next. This is so good. This is where you and I, this is where we live, okay? By this time, it was late in the day, so... His disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. Now, do you just hear a little hint in the disciples? Now, we don't get tone of voice here, but I kind of have a sense of what the tone of voice going on here is. Jesus, there's this big crowd. We haven't eaten. They haven't eaten. We're really hungry. Send them away, please. Just send them away. They can go and buy themselves. I love what Jesus answered. You give them something to eat. (laughs) Now, they said to him, well, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Even if we did have it? What are you asking us to do? And then he asks this critical question. How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. And when they found out, they said five. And two fish. A couple little salted sardines here. Brings us to the next, which is to discover your resources. What do you have in your hands, people? What has God put into your life? Oh, but pastor, I don't have much. Well, let me give you a heads up, another heads up this morning. It's a heads up day. Not a single person in this room has got enough in their hands to meet the need. Ain't nobody. There's nobody wealthy enough. There's nobody with enough time. There's nobody with enough energy. There's nobody with enough strength. There's nobody with enough gifts. You don't have enough. Alexander McLaren, writing about this, says, It is often our God-given duty to attempt tasks to which we are conspicuously inadequate. In the confidence that He who gives them has laid them on us to drive us to Himself and there to find sufficiency. The best preparation of His servants for their work in the world is the discovery that their stores are too small. God uses common clay jars like us so that there will be no mistake as to where the power comes from. We so often think He wants and needs our strength. And He does use them when they're committed to Him. But what about our barley loaves? How about our ordinariness? Our weaknesses? The truth is, these are harder to give to God. If you're eloquent, it's so easy to say, God, here's my eloquence. Take and use it. 
If you're a good business person, it's simple to say, God, you have my administrative ability, but it's another thing to say, God, here are my weaknesses. Elizabeth Elliot expressed the idea this way, if the only thing you have to offer is a broken heart, you offer a broken heart. So in a time of grief, the recognition that this is material for sacrifice has been a very great strength for me, realizing that nothing I have and nothing that I am will be refused on the part of Christ. I simply give it to Him as the little boy gave Jesus His five loaves and two fishes with the same feeling of the disciples when they said, what is the good of that for such a crowd? Naturally, in almost anything I offer to Christ, my reaction would be, what is the good of that? The point is... The use he makes of it is his blessing. What do you got in your hands? Discover your resources. Well, let's go on in our text. Then Jesus directed them to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. I'm going to come back to the green grass a little bit later because there's something significant there. But let's look at the fifties and hundreds for a moment. What's that about? Well, on the one hand, it connects back to Moses and the word he received from Jethro and, you know, to organize in a certain particular way. And it looks forward because in the Qumran it talks about how at the last day in the eschatological, the final days, there will be this fifties and hundreds and the people being prepared. But also there's a very practical thing going on here. We have a crowd of 5,000 and that's just the men. So you understand that that's not counting the women and children. So probably we're talking about maybe a crowd of 10, 15, 20, 25,000. We don't know exactly how many, but it's a very large crowd. And Jesus gets them organized and says, sit down in groups of 50 and 100. And the principle for us here is find the flow of administration. Oh, but pastor, that's not the spiritual stuff. That's not so spiritual administration. That's just... That's just busy work. That's just, you know. Hello. Look at the word. Add ministration. Ministration is ministry. Administration is vital ministry. What it does is it connects the need, the resources to the need. It creates the channel by which it can flow. It is exceptionally spiritual to find the administrative flow. Spiritual things aren't always, you know, they're also like really practical. If you're going to welcome divine interruptions, you might have to have some extra food in your pantry when the person that you are being prompted to invite into your home, you're going to need to be ready for that. My wife is exceptional in this. We have a few people that come to our house. 
over the course of the last 19... This, by the way, this Sunday, it's the beginning of my 20th year of ministry here at Bethel. This very Sunday. Home Sunday. Well, thank you, thank you. Yes, lovely. In that time, you know, there's, there's been an administrative flow in our life which has allowed the resource to go to the need. That's spiritual and practical. Is that okay? You with me? All right. Not just not to lift us up, but just to say there's a there's an administrative flow that you need to discern and discover. Then taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. I love this picture. He gave thanks. He probably used the prayer. He would have used the traditional Jewish prayer which would go something, would, would say this, Blessed are you, Jehovah our God, King of the world, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. And all of the thousands and the disciples together would have said, Amen! And He took that bread and He gave thanks and He broke it. And then He gave it to the disciples to set before the people. And He also divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. Now here's where we move into just a moment. I'm going to give you sermon speculation. But I think... I have a good foundation for this. So what's happening here? How does this go on? How does this get distributed? We can have in our mind, there's a couple of ways this could happen. The one picture is Jesus is up front and He's taking the bread and He breaks it. And as He breaks it, it begins to multiply. And there's this big mound of of bread that is in front of him and this big mound of fish as he begins to divide it and the disciples keep coming up and going back and feeding it. Now that's one way that it might have happened. But I don't think that's the way it happened. (laughs) Because I think what happened was Jesus broke the bread and He gave it to His disciples and as He put it in their hands... And as they began to go to the 50s and the 20s, as they began to share it, it it began to multiply through their hands. And they got to participate in the incredible provision and miracle of the Lord through their hands. Because they had to step out in faith. What do you have in your hand? It ain't enough. But start giving it away. Step out in faith! And trust the Lord to take it and multiply it 
And they all ate and were satisfied. And then comes this wonderful sort of footnote here. Verse 43, And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Now Jesus draws attention to this later again in Mark when He feeds the 4,000. He talks about there's some spiritual significance around that. But I want to be very practical this morning and that is to say this. Remember, the disciples hadn't even had time to eat. They were hungry. Everybody ate and were satisfied. And the disciples went home with doggy bags. Because when we step out in multiplying opportunities, we can expect in the extravagant grace and goodness of the Lord that there will not only be enough for them, but He won't forget about you either. And you receive, and I receive, and we receive the overflow. Now that gives you a little bit of a picture of who God is. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Now they didn't get just, remember, they didn't get, everybody got a little microscopic speck of bread. They ate and were satisfied. And there was baskets overflowing. So this morning as we come to the table, I want to close with this thought. In the midst of this rather, well, it's an extraordinary story, but it's a, you know, in the midst of this account, I don't want us to miss the big picture. This isn't about a magic trick, Jesus multiplying bread and fish, and isn't that cool, woo-woo. Miracles are signs that point us towards deeper kingdom reality. They are pictures which open our vision to the larger purposes of God. And there is more overlay in this passage than you've already noticed. And I'm just going to tease out a couple pieces of this. First of all, I want you to notice the setting. The setting is, again, the wilderness. And it's set in contrast to Herod and his court of opulence and decadence. But now we're out in the wilderness and Jesus is providing for the people of God in the wilderness. Who would that remind them of? That would remind them of Moses and the Exodus and God's provision. And when they cried out, when they didn't have enough and they felt like they were going to die, the provision of the Lord came. It would remind them of Elijah and Elisha. 2 Kings 4 and other, other places in Kings talks about Elijah and Elisha, but specifically in 2 Kings 4 talks about the barley loaves and multiplying and feeding a hundred men. It would remind them of the prophetic tradition. 
but perhaps even most of all. It would remind them of Ezekiel chapter 34 and Ezekiel chapter 35. And you can go back and look there. And it talks about the shepherd. David, that the Lord would raise up a shepherd for his people. Verse 22 of Ezekiel 34, I will save my flock. They will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another and I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them and he will tend them and be their shepherd and I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. When Jesus was standing before them and those loaves and fish were multiplying, they were reminded right there, they were giving a living in technicolor reality that Jesus was their priest, He was their prophet, and He was their king. Providing for them even there in the wilderness. And there's that green grass. Green grass in the wilderness. Sit down on the green grass in the wilderness. I don't know if that grass was already there or if that grass just shot up while Jesus was teaching. But it's a picture of the wasteland becoming the very fields of the Lord. I will lead you in green pastures. Psalm 23. And then... There's Isaiah 25. Ooh, it gets good. It's getting better. Isaiah 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain, He will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations, He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of His people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken and in that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in Him and He saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. Because there's no more dying there. We are going to see the King. There's no more dying there. We are going to see the King. Come on, there's no more. No more dying there. We are going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're gonna see the King. I'm telling you, there's no more crying. Worship team, come up. No more crying there. We are gonna see the King. Come on, there's no more. No more crying there. We are gonna see the King. Come on now, there's no more crying there. We are going to see the King. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're gonna see the King. Come on, soon and very, soon and very soon, we are gone. Elders, deacons, come on up, the King, come on up to serve us, here we go. Soon and very soon, we are gonna see the King, yeah, soon and very soon, we are gonna see the King. Come on, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We're gonna see the King one more time now. Come on, soon and very soon. We are gonna see the King. Woo! Soon and very soon. We are gonna see the King. Come on now, soon and very soon. We are gonna see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're gonna see the King. Revelation 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen for the, stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. This is about something more than loaves and fishes. This is about the life of Christ. Yesterday, today, forever. It's about an eternal table which we come to today to remember looking forward to the day when He will come again for all time and we will go to the wedding feast of the Lamb. This has become to us the very bread of life broken that we might be made whole. This has become for us the cup of salvation, the blood of Christ shed that we might be freed from the power of sin and death forever. And this morning, this table is for you. You are welcome at this table. If you've never received Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you've never allowed Him, if you've never turned over your life and said, Jesus, here I am. I give you myself and all that I am, all the mess, all the strengths, all the weaknesses, everything. Today, give yourself to Jesus. Put yourself in His hands and let Him receive you and give thanks over your life and break you and distribute you into a world desperate and dying. So this table is welcome and all are welcome at this table. If, whether you're a member here or not, whether this is your first Sunday here or your thousandth, this table is for each of us. But receive Christ. And as you receive these elements, put yourself in His hands and allow Him 
to multiply Himself through you today, through your life. If you'll hold the elements until all have been served, we'll just continue in worship as we receive the elements and then we'll partake together this morning. Hallelujah.